The Living Traditions Festival is back Friday, May 17th through Sunday, May 19th at Washington Square Park in downtown Salt Lake City. You will find a global food court, live music, performances, art, workshops, Bohemian Brewery, and stuff for kids. Full disclosure, this is my favorite Salt Lake Festival. For details and to see the full program, visit livingtraditionsfestival.com or find them on Instagram and Facebook at SLC Living Trad. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. We have got a math problem here in Utah. 154,000 kids in this state have working parents. But there are only 55,000 childcare slots. So who's watching the remaining 99,000 kids? It's Monday, July 31st. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. McKenna Malin, editor of Utah Business. I think we're all fairly aware that childcare is expensive as a former high-paid babysitter. I can vouch for this. But you wrote a story claiming that Utah has a, quote, outsized childcare crisis. What do you mean by that? Yeah. So just to kind of preface this a little bit, this was just one article in a series of articles for a spotlight issue that Utah Business published on women in the workplace. And we partnered with Dr. Susan Madsen of Utah State University's Utah Women and Leadership Project for this. So she was the guest editor on this spotlight issue, and we just really wanted to tackle the problems and really the barriers that women face in Utah's workplaces through these articles. So I decided to research childcare because I knew it was a huge problem, but I admittedly didn't know how intense it was until I really started diving into this research. It's also a topic that's really dear to my heart because I don't yet have children, but I think that someday I would like to. And when I do, I really don't want to feel like I was pushed out of my career due to childcare complications or other complications related to my decision to have children. So long story short, just to kind of set the stage on the issue, according to the Department of Workforce Services, women make up almost half of Utah's labor force and more than half are mothers with children under the age of six. So this illustrates just how many people Utah's insufficient childcare options affect because that's a pretty big chunk. And I think a lot of working parents understood the gravity of Utah's childcare crisis. They, I think they've understood it for a while, but the masses really started paying attention to this issue in January, I feel, when the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation released a report that found that Utah loses an estimated $1.36 billion annually in economic opportunity due to childcare complications. And business owners really need to care about this as well because the report also found that childcare-related absences and employee turnover costs Utah employers an estimated $1.10 billion annually. So this is a huge problem that unfortunately shouldn't have to be framed through the lens of economic loss. (laughs) But when we frame it that way, people really start paying attention and seeing how this is affecting Utah's economy and Utah's businesses in addition to Utah families. Mm -hmm. So you said that in looking into Utah's childcare 
situation, Utah's child care wicket, you were surprised to find that it was worse than you may have expected. Why are Utah parents not able to access child care? Yeah. So a bipartisan policy center analysis estimated that 153,000 Utah children had both parents participating in the workforce and would require care. Okay. But there was only a capacity of 55,000 formal child care slots available. So that was a resulting gap of 98,000 children, over 98,000 children. So this is a huge problem. And the fact that childcare providers often live in poverty doesn't make it an interesting industry that they would want to get into because the typical childcare provider makes about $24,000 per year. Um, Whoa. <laughs> right? That's not a living wage. I'm sorry. I'll say no. It. It's absolutely not. So with that outlook, there aren't people out there chomping at the bit to become childcare providers. And there aren't really any policies in place requiring any kind of childcare facilities per the numbers of business in a business park or per the number of employees in a certain area or in a certain business or mm. in a certain area in general. And so there just are not enough childcare providers available to support the demand and the amount of children that need care and have both parents working in Utah's workforce. Well, I mean, so those, what, 98,000 children that are in the gap, like that aren't getting the kind of child care that they need in order for their parents to be going to work and not worrying about them. What are those parents doing? Like, mm -hmm. what does that even look like? Right. Absolutely. So, uh, I think a lot of the people that I talked to and a lot of the people who were quoted in the reports that I researched, they just have to leave the workforce. Wow, <laughs> and okay. that's where that billion dollar number comes from. It's really sad because especially for single parents who might not have the option for a partner to leave the workforce, there is a report that says, I think it's about 36% of their annual income goes to childcare if they are a single parent. And if you are in a partnered relationship and you have the ability for one partner to leave the workforce, then a lot of the time that's what happens. And unfortunately, a lot of the time in a heteronormative partnership, that's the woman that leaves the workforce to care for the children. Because the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services said that childcare is unaffordable if it costs more than 7% of a family's income. And in the United States, couples are spending on average 11% of their annual income. So some of the people that were interviewed for these reports were saying that between the cost of childcare and the headache of coordinating it, it was just too great for both parents to remain in the workforce. Yeah. I have friends who are mothers that have told me point blank, the job that I currently have, I make less than the cost of childcare would be. And so it actually like doesn't even make financial sense. Now it might make like personal, emotional, mental well-being sense for me to stay in the workforce. But like it doesn't make financial sense for us as a family for me to continue working when I'm bringing home less money than we are paying for daycare. And like that is a bananas calculus. 
I'm curious, like, to hear from you because you mentioned in the beginning of this conversation that having kids is something you would be interested in doing and that it's part of the reason you were wanted to look into the childcare situation in Utah. Now that you've, like, dug up all of these facts and figures, I mean, do you think the average Salt Laker, we'll say, since, you know, we tend to have higher incomes in the city, the average Salt Laker under 40 can afford to have a child? Yeah, I think that's a very valid question. And I want to avoid painting my answer with too broad of a brush because obviously there are millennials in the city who are having children and and they're making it work. I don't really know how they're making it work a lot of the time, but they are. And there are a lot of articles that are out there right now. I think there's one from The Guardian that says one in five women are childless by midlife. That includes involuntarily and by choice, but 80% of them are childless due to circumstance. And a huge part of that is about not achieving financial security. So I think it's a part of the bigger question that's been floating around, which is, can millennials afford to do many of the things that our parents could seemingly afford to do, which includes buying a home and paying to birth children and to raise children, because obviously it costs thousands of dollars to just birth a healthy child. That obviously doesn't include the cost of diapers, childcare, anything else. And I don't feel like people a lot of the time are planning for childcare, something that spans years of a child's life to cost as much as it does. So I think the question that a lot of millennials are having to ask themselves might not be exactly, can I afford to have kids? But unfortunately, it's what kind of life am I going to be financially able to provide for my family if I bring children into this world, which is heartbreaking that parents aren't feeling supported in the ways they need to be and that so many millennials have to ask themselves that question. Whenever posture comes up in conversation, we all do that thing where we immediately sit upright and pull our shoulders back. Did you do it just now? I did a movement session with Chandler at Embodied Patients, and after a few gentle corrections, I was surprised to find sitting up straight is incredibly easy. Chandler's practice combines over a decade of study in yoga, Pilates, and the Alexander Technique. So why should you invest in your posture? Let's start with the link between better posture and better breathing. Whether you're returning to activity from an injury, looking to manage pain, or just have the sense things could be a little easier, Chandler will teach you to create sustainable movement habits so that you can enjoy the things you love for longer. Maybe that's running marathons. Maybe it's walking the dog. Visit embodiedpatients.com to book a session with Chandler and give yourself the gift of your own attention. Spring is when leases expire, and if you're looking for a new or better apartment situation, here's the scoop at Ico Fort Union. Fort Union is Ico's newest build in Cottonwood Heights off 1300 East and 6720 South. And as they say in real estate, location, location, location. Ico Fort Union puts you 10 minutes from the mouth of Big Cottonwood Canyon and central to all the Fort Union shops and restaurants, but the complex is located on a dead-end street, so you get peace. 
Ico Fort Union offers studio, one, two, and three-bedroom apartment homes, plus these very cool three-bedroom work-live apartments. So if you're starting something new, you can live above your business space. Amenities include a pet spa, a spin loft, a bike hub, and EV charging stations. And they are signing leases right now. So visit liveatfortunion.com for a tour. If we're thinking holistically about our state's economy further down the line, I mean, you cover business. Like, what are some things that business leaders can be doing? For sure. So I talked to a bunch of companies who have taken the initiative to open their own on-site child care centers at their places of employment. So these were companies and organizations like ARUP Laboratories, CAPSA, Overstock, and Recursion Pharmaceuticals. And they are making a huge impact on their employees by offering these on-site childcare centers. But this is really just one piece of the solution because a lot of companies don't have the resources that they need to put initiatives like this in place. And if there are any business leaders listening to this wondering what they can do, It's really interesting because it is such a huge, scary, hairy topic. And a lot of times business leaders feel like it needs to be all or nothing. Um, And so they end up doing nothing. (laughs) But I really loved the advice that Dave Nilsson, who's the president of Overstock, gave to me during our interview because he mentioned a lot of smaller steps that business leaders can take. Like a lot of that has to do with workplace flexibility and leave policies. Those are the two biggest things that companies could implement today. Granted, that isn't fair to say for every industry. I don't feel like every industry can have the type of workplace flexibility that maybe tech and software companies can have. But a workplace environment that fosters workplace flexibility and leave policies is so huge for these working parents. I really liked what one of the sources in this article told me. Her name's Sonia. She works at RUP. And she made the case that this isn't a women's issue. This is really a family issue. And that once loyalty is created between business leaders and their employees, then the employees are going to give that back tenfold. Hmm. And truly, the amount of time that a working parent needs childcare support in the grand scheme of things is so short in the span of a lifetime career. And that helps with employee retention, which in turn helps decrease that number that we talked about, the $1.10 billion that... Utah employers spend annually on on employee turnover and related complications. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because, like, it does feel like since the pandemic, some of the Utah tech companies have had a bit of a retroactive approach to workplace flexibility. Like, I know there are some big local tech companies that are starting to ask people to come back to the office and, mm-hmm. and like, reintegrate their commute in their week. And that kind of feels a little bit like moving in the opposite direction of offering the kind of flexibility that a parent might need. For sure. And in almost every single conversation that we have or roundtable we host, this topic gets brought up and it always divides the room. So there's always people who believe that employees' best work is done in the office because there's a team building aspect. I see 
those points as true. But my favorite approach is when business leaders are able to say, let's take this team by team, or even if needed, individual by individual and see how we can best support them and see what kind of structure we can create to make them truly be able to do the best work that they can do. Because for a lot of people, especially working parents, the butts and seats model is not working. So also shout out to Sydney Tetro of Brandless, who wrote a column for this special issue, literally titled The Butts and Seats Leadership Model is Failing. Um, because moving forward, again, if employers want to create diverse teams, then it just isn't possible to enforce these traditional rules about having a butts and seats team. I mean, from the business perspective as well, something I've noticed is outside of like employers providing things like childcare or flexibility for their employees, I've noticed more and more in Salt Lake businesses offering childcare as a part of their business model, which seems quite clever. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, I go to a bar studio in Trolley Square and they have childcare built into their bar classes. So it's like $10 a class or there's like a flat monthly rate you can pay. And there's like a childcare area in the front of the room and the people at the front desk will keep an eye on your kid and hang out with them while you take a bar class. And I'm like, $10 an hour is cheaper than a babysitter. <laughs> it absolutely is, yeah. <laughs> and it's like kind of interesting to see businesses also acknowledging this crisis and seeing some opportunity in providing something to parents who are overwhelmed and might otherwise just not go to the class at all because who's going to watch their kid? Absolutely. And it makes me so excited to hear about things like that happening because I think it really does just reflect the shift that needs to happen, which is seeing parents as people outside of parenthood that have things to do and places to go and goals in their career that they want to accomplish. And I just think it's hilarious that up until recently, these conversations haven't been happening. There hasn't been childcare offered at this gym or whatever you're talking about, because it's a part of life that just kind of goes behind a curtain, especially at work. It's like, oh, you're a parent. Well, I guess you are. But when you're here in the office, you're not a parent anymore. You don't. It's just not ever seen or talked about. And I think the biggest part of changing this is going to be talking about it and just raising awareness of the time and energy and money that it takes to raise a child and how many people in Utah are doing it and are going to choose to do it and they need the support to do it the best that they can. I mean, from where I sit as a Salt Laker, it feels like Utah leaders are always touting that our economy is humming. And so my view so often is that the the biggest lever in this state would be the business community. Like, that's just sort of how I perceive it, right? Because it does seem like the Utah legislature, the governor's office, like, they are most invested in Utah's economy. And yet, you're laying out this really compelling economic argument and having watched us go through legislative sessions since, you know, this data was published, 
it doesn't feel like we're seeing the kind of movement I would anticipate at the other end of a lever like the business community. Do you think that business leaders are getting frustrated by lack of action on this? Like, where do you see this kind of, do you think this meets eventually down the road and we'll start to see some more action locally? Like, what would it take? Here's the thing. I feel like I have to be a little bit careful with the way I phrase this, but in my conversations with people in the business community, there are definitely a lot of business leaders who understand that this is an issue and are committed to doing what they need to to change it. And then there is still, unfortunately, a whole other group of business leaders who have looked me in the eyes and told me that we should be proud of the amount of women that stay at home with their kids. And that that number of women who choose to do that it should be something to be celebrated, which don't get me wrong, if women want to stay at home with their children and that's their life decision, then I think they should absolutely be able to do that and be supported in that and get the recognition that they rightfully deserve. But there are still a lot of business leaders in this state who have the perspective that it isn't a problem. <laughs> that having women in business, having women in leadership positions isn't a problem. And unfortunately, I do feel like it goes back to that traditional patriarchal line of thinking that a woman belongs in the home. And so I think to actually make lasting change on this issue, there really just has to be more awareness and that shift in mindset that women not only belong in organizations and companies, but that they are needed there and that these initiatives need to be put in place so that they can be there. Because I feel like the needle isn't moving because not everybody is on that same page yet. Is that okay for me to say? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say like, sounds like that's the bottom line. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep. That's the bottom line. <laughs> McKenna Malin, editor of Utah Business, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I have to give props to the all-women editorial team at Utah Business. Their reporting lately has been 10 stars. One of the stories I find myself quoting nonstop on this show is about Utah's OBGYN shortage. Speaking of who is going to care for all these kids... Utah is on track to be short 200 gynecologists by 2030. What does that mean for the state with the nation's fourth highest birth rate? And I hope legislators are listening to that data because experts say reproductive health care policies are a pretty big factor in retaining gynecologists. I link that story in the show notes in case you want to learn more. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Hey, will you rate and review this podcast? We appreciate it. Thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow morning with more from around this city. Bye.